Insights on Responsible Business is a podcast about organizations building trust, security, and resilience to thrive in a new era of uncertainty and stakeholder capitalism. Our host is Sir Rob Wainwright. With career-long experience navigating complex risk and security issues, he talks with business leaders and experts about their challenges and experiences in becoming more responsible businesses. Towards an outcome that's better for all stakeholders, better for long-term shareholder value, and better for society as a whole. Our special guest is Nicola Mendelssohn, Facebook's Vice President for Europe, the Middle East, and Africa, a role she's held since 2013. Described by the Daily Telegraph as the most powerful woman in the British tech industry, Nicola has over 20 years' experience in advertising, marketing, and technology. And now at Facebook, holds one of the most senior roles in a social media platform connecting 3 billion people across the world. Rob and Nicola are here to talk about the role of the tech sector in advancing the cause of responsible business and Nicola's experience of resilient leadership. Over to you. Super, thanks, Ronnie. Welcome back, listeners. Nicola, wonderful, wonderful to have you here today. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, let's get started on this notion of responsible business in the tech sector. You've great experience in the field, as we've been hearing in Rodney's introduction, of course, tech industry playing this dynamic, vital part in global business today, of course, and indeed um, uh, in our everyday lives. But I, I wonder what do you think, what does it mean for society in terms of the purpose and intrinsic value of a company like Facebook? Firstly, Rob, it is great to be uh, here with you today. So thank you so much uh, for the invitation. Well, you've started with a big question, that's for sure. Um, we don't have much it's... time, so <laughs> let's get straight into it. <laughs> Indeed. Well, well, it de- definitely matters and it matters in every aspect um, of our life. And I think that's particularly been proven out and shown through the pandemic that we're still all living through. And there are huge uncertainties, but actually data and digital tools have been the very thing that have been able to ensure that many businesses, which are an enormous part of society, have been able to carry on functioning during the pandemic. The digital businesses have been able to help governments. They've been able to help health authorities um, in as much as getting vital health information out to their citizens uh, to inform on policy responses. And they're going to also be used by businesses and governments to help on the rebuild as well. And I don't think that there is a point now that we can talk about um, a separate digital economy to the traditional economy, because actually digital is, is really at the heart of society now and at the heart of how every sector and how every organization operates. And I particularly think about small businesses around the world who've been hardest hit uh, you, you drive through high streets and you see so many shops closed and, you know, they've had to pivot. A lot of those businesses have had to pivot online. Today, we have over 200 million uh, businesses that are using our platforms. The majority uh, are doing that for free. So I've seen firsthand how digitization can actually help these businesses to stay in touch with customers, to pivot to selling online and pivot fast. And it's been great to see, you know, the resilience and, and the ingenuity that so many of those businesses uh, have actually had. But I think, you know, across the wider sector, d- digitization is important for jobs. And 
there are initiatives out there to train and encourage young people to develop, uh, you know, higher level skills uh, for the future. But there's probably more um, that also needs to be done as well. But also, you know, for people's lives and day to day basis, I, I guess, of course, technology is completely changed the way we we run our lives even as well. And and a platform like Facebook, you know, carrying, my goodness, three, three billion users on this platform. I mean, that that's has a tremendous impact, therefore, on such a huge scale um, in, in, I guess, helping to change people's lives. I mean, this notion of the responsibility that comes with that, how, how, how do you see that, Nicola? Yeah, I, I agree, because actually, in many ways, technology can act as a leveller, because, and we think about the world that we're going to shape after the pandemic. So many of the things that were once the preserve of the wealthy um, actually now can be, you know, available to so many more, whether that's in um, how we communicate, how we advertise our business, um, or how we consume energy, how we travel, how we see different parts of the world. And so I think, you know, the digital platforms, and I include Facebook in that, actually can help not just to solve problems, but actually to improve living standards as well. And it won't be through one big eureka moment I think it's going to be around, and we're seeing it already, lots of smaller breakthroughs that enable something bigger to come together in many ways. And and I do like a bit of history. You know, some of the learnings from the Industrial Revolution were not just one aha. There were lots of things that happened together that did evolve to, to change society. And I think, you know, across the ways in which digital is being used today, we often can really see worry very greatly about the problems that emerge and fear the worst, but we often underestimate the extent to which new technologies will also create the possibilities of different ways that we can adapt and thrive. And if you think about, you know, one of the other great challenges that's facing us, uh, our planet at the moment, the the issue of, um, you know, climate change, actually, I see so many interesting innovations that are happening when it comes to addressing some of the issues of of climate change through technology or even, you know, even closer to everybody at the moment, the issues around healthcare uh, and what more can be done through data, through technology, through digitalization. So there's lots of opportunities for how tech can help to reshape, reform uh, and look out to the societies of the future. On, on that great question of climate change, Nicola, I mean, how, how much of a bigger role do you think can Facebook play in this area specifically, you know, in the future? You know, we, we, we're coming to the end of this year, this this sort of totemic year of 2020. Um, and in, hopefully we're turning the corner on the pandemic. Let's hope so. Um, climate change is going to be a, a bigger, bigger nut to crack, of course. So the power at your disposal with this great global platform and the great technology that you're developing, how do you see yourself shaping up on, on, on the issues of sustainability going forward? Well, it matters to us hugely as a company. And actually, we're doing a lot of work um, in this area. We think we can do more. Um, but we we created, based actually on the learnings from uh, some of the work that we did through the, and are doing through the pandemic, where we put access at the top of people's Facebook uh, news feeds to actually uh, take them to coronavirus uh, information centres, often in conjunction with health authorities in the individual uh, local countries of the World Health Organization. We, we've taken that same learning and applying it to climate change, where we're creating and have created uh, climate change um, 
information hubs at the top of people's news feeds. And we, you know, we think that's a very important area. We're also deeply committed that if there's information that is labelled by our fact checkers in this area as misinformation, we will label it as such. And we're doing more than that. Um, we're actually moving towards actually pointing people to more accurate information about what the scientists are telling us um, in this area. So that's some of the work that we're doing um, on the Facebook perspective. From, our, from a, a company perspective, you know, I think it's important that you have your own house um, in order as well. And so that's why we've set um, a goal to make our, our value chain net zero for emissions by, um, by 2030. And we're continuing to make sure, and by the end of this year, actually all of our data centers will have net zero emissions, uh, given, you know, the, the way in which we're restructuring uh, and, you know, have decoupled our energy consumption from the, from the, from the growth of the data that we're using. So I think there's, you know, the commitment that you can see that we're making as a company. But I think there's also the area around how green businesses, green startups, uh, green technology businesses are using our platforms to actually connect with customers uh, and consumers to let them know about the work that they're doing. And then even on a more local level, we see all over the world groups of uh, people coming together, whether it's on uh, getting rid of plastics or whether it's on cleaning the oceans, coming together, forming around uh, different causes that they care about, sharing best practices and actually organising the real world, whether it's to go out and pick up r rubbish or sharing best tips about what they can do. So we're all in as a company. Uh, we think it's really important work. It's a good example, isn't it? We often think of Facebook and other tech giants as these great companies. Of course they are, but actually what you're describing there and the way in which a Facebook platform can be used by everyday citizens just to get together and clean, a, clean up a local park or something. So, I mean, I like that. I like that example. We've been talking about the future, but also a lot of what's happened in this, in this year. Another, of course, another major event this year has been the US presidential election. And to a certain extent, I suppose Facebook has taken somewhat of a share of the spotlight around that event in terms of ensuring your platform can help to maintain the integrity of of that and indeed other electoral processes. I suppose it brings to mind the challenge Facebook and others in the sector face in preventing these open technologies being manipulated by others to spread disinformation or indeed harmful content. I remember very well from my time in Europe all a few years ago, you know, the urgent task of cooperation we shared with you at the time and other companies in removing terrorist content from your platforms at a time in which ISIS sought to use them as such a, a major propaganda and recruitment tool. So I, I wonder, you know, that's the flip side of technology, I guess, as well. And I wonder how Facebook is managing those challenges today in a way that can still therefore maintain public trust in the platform. So I, I, first and foremost, Rob, this is an area that, that you know how seriously that we take. And if I, I think if you if you want to look at how seriously that we take this, if you look at the billions of dollars that we've invested over over the recent years, in particular it, across all of these different areas that you're talking about, uh, you, you mentioned elections, you mentioned terrorism, um, perhaps and other areas. Maybe it's to do with misinformation or, or around the elections or, or even hate speech. And so I would say that as a company. We've we've changed significantly, especially over the over the last five years. So, if I take some of those issues uh, separately that you talked about, you, you mentioned the U.S. election, and you know since the 2016 election, 
We've actually worked on over 200 elections um, around the world. We have a, an election operations center. We have over 35,000 people around the world that are working on safety and security, not just of elections, but uh, on countering terrorism, on, uh, on hate speech. We have um, an independent fact-checking program with over 70 partners. And so um, we have a number of expert teams, both within the company and also, you know, the, the different organizations that we work with around the world. Uh, you mentioned uh, previous experience where we had come together on, on working out how do we do tackle some of these let's be clear, these new threats that the world is facing that couldn't have been imagined 10 years ago because it wouldn't, couldn't have been possible. And so, you know, I am pleased with the progress um, that, that we've made, whether it was from uh, the, the recent 2020 election um, in America, where actually we played a significant role in actually getting people out to vote by creating a voter information centre, by helping to get over 4 million people to register to vote and using all of our platforms, Facebook, Instagram, um, and Messenger, by extending and our, adverti our advertising policies and also our policies to combat voter interference. And we publish all, all the work that we do in these different areas quarterly now. And so you'll have seen the increase and in improvements that we've made in part because of the investments, in part because of the human um, review process, but also in part because of the advancements that we've seen in artificial intelligence and deep machine learning, that some of this work that we've, that we've literally trained the computers to be able to, to adapt to this. And of course, um, the machines can work at a much greater speed than people ever can. And we see that we have made significant uh, improvements on this, especially around the issue of terrorism that you talked about, where we're taking down 99% of that often before it's even hit the platforms. There's a split second moment where because of the systems that we've created and the partnerships that we have around the world um, with law enforcement, that we are able to get that off the platform. And I want to be very clear, we don't want this on our platform. That's the reason we're spending the money we're doing. We don't want this on our platform. We want our platforms to be a place that people can come to to enjoy the things that, that they care about, whether it's, you know, connecting with their friends, their families, their communities, the entertainment they're interested in, climate, the things that they care and that they're passionate about. That's a good experience and that's what we want to give to people. Yeah, and, and let's face it, and, and I, I know from my day job, you know, that, that the world of cybersecurity challenges is, is hugely complex. There are no modern technologies of, of, of any shape, frankly, that are not... Uh, quickly abused and exploited by criminals, or at least that's their their game, and and it's left us with a major problem. So, Facebook is certainly not alone in facing that challenge. And and to be fair, I think you're right on terrorism, especially. I was impressed by how the social media companies, including Facebook, re uh, responded to that, and we quickly between us shut down the problem. Um, so it, it does speak about the value of partnership and the value of of using technology as our friend, of course, to. To, to sort of keep uh, keep our interests clean here and, and, and the interests of society in the right shape. Um, I guess allied to that are maybe changes in consumer demands, if I can call it that, maybe users wanting more control over their, over their data. Regulators also in this area now may be sharpening their focus around issues of, of data privacy. Where do you think the future's heading here in terms of Facebook's relationship with its users and public authorities? Um, 
So the f- first and foremost, what I would say here is that people are already in control of the data that uh, they share with Facebook. And we provide controls that we're con- you know constantly uh, working through in terms of making it really easy for people to see what it is that they're actually sharing. And people can do at any time, they can pop into you know the tool and just have a little look about who they're sharing information with. So that's first and foremost. From a from a regulatory um, perspective, we're really we've been very public on this that we are in favour uh, of regulation. I think it's um, I, I think we've demonstrated that we are committed to protecting people's privacy and and continue to provide them with the transparency and control that they have. But we also want to you know, emphasize how important it is that the the debates are on this conversation is, is about not just the here and now, but actually what the regulation will look like in the future as well. So I think we do need rules that respect the, the rights of individuals to choose what happens to their data, that does encourage competition and innovation, and that also ensures the internet remains open and accessible for everyone. And there's a really important point around this as well, which is in part where some of the conversations are at the moment, which is includes being able to safely and securely and legally transfer data across national borders as well. Now, you might be looking at me, Rob, going, well, that all sounds a bit technical, doesn't it? But actually, it is absolutely critical uh, to so many businesses. And it's not just businesses like the tech companies like Facebook, but it's actually the small businesses. um, And I'm thinking about... You know, whether it's a a small shoe shop in Spain that wants to send beautiful handmade shoes to someone in the US or the UK or Canada, because that shop needs a really easy way that it can deal with its customer data that's crossing borders. And without secure international connections, actually, it's very difficult for that small shop. So governments really need to look at that and think about in the decisions that they're making on regulation to make sure that businesses can really reach international customers because so much of what happens in the world today is global and also can make sure they can safely handle their their information. And I'm really kind of underlining this point because this is so much bigger than Facebook. This could this could have the potential to impact thousands of companies. And at a time when, you know, the UK, Europe, the world is looking to rebuild, it could really jeopardize economies. It could really hurt public, you know, services, um, could hurt the health efforts, the education efforts, and ultimately it would limit customer consumer choice and I think would be harmful for competition and innovation. So I think it's a really important one. And so thoughtful conversations around this that we absolutely and want to be a part of and are a part of uh, are important. I mean, the way you just describe it, Nicola, it's, there's a lot hanging on this, isn't there? Um, is your voice being heard? I mean, are those points, um, you know, being heard during, during that process? Do you think you can work in that constructive way to shape a future where you can still play this valuable role you've been describing today um, for society? Well, I hope so, um, is, is, the, is the straightforward answer. But I think also what, what's at the heart of this is, is really an understanding about, you know, what is the business model of a company like Facebook? And again, I, you're probably hearing from, from the conversation that I think this conversation is much bigger uh, than just Facebook or the, or the big American tech companies. What we've seen 
is that digital advertising has actually transformed the, you know, the whole advertising industry by lowering the cost of advertising and making it easier for small businesses to compete and thrive. You know, you think about the way in which business used to be done. If you were on a, a high street, you would only ever really sell to the people that were walking up and down your high street. Now you can literally sell to any customer anywhere in the world. And this this type of advertising, which is personalized, relevant advertising, is used across the industry. And actually people people like this because not having, you know, what's the, what's the trade-off here? Not The trade-off here is that if you don't have this, then you would lose, you know, the, the customers don't know about these interesting new businesses that they, they didn't know existed. And for the smaller business, they're able in a much more efficient way to find the customers that, that matter to them. And this, this model of doing business is actually supported of a very thriving uh, tech and app ecosystem because many apps other apps can't actually rely on other forms of monetization, such as subscriptions or in-app payments. So, you know, it's, it's, it's something that, um, you know, if you think about some of the smaller publishers, they've had to rely on personal advertising to sustain their businesses as well. So I, I always come back to, you know, the, the, the small shops and, and what more can be, we can be, be doing for them. In the past, you would, you know, a small shop would would rely on leafleting or word of mouth or door to door. Actually, for a, for a few pounds, a few euros, they can connect to the customers that matter to them incredibly easily. Well, if you've got three billion users on your platform, that's that, that's a whole bunch of small shops and, and communities around the world, I guess. So, uh, I think you know, listening to you, Nicola, you're a great advocate of the tech sector and and. You know the work that that Facebook's doing. I mean that you are in a position of leadership, of course. And you're, you, you know it's part of your responsibility, I guess, to ensure that kind of constructive debate is being had. And of course, that 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 you build help to build the sector as a whole to an even better future. Um, now you've you've been at the top of this industry for so many years. I think it's seven years now in this in this position at at Facebook. Come on, Nicola, tell me what are your secrets to success. <laughs> You sound sound as bright and as optimistic today as, as you ever did. Come on, what's your secret? Uh, thank you, Rob. Um, look, I love my job and I love what I do, and I think that counts for a lot. I think if you if you wake up every day, kind of going, "What's going to happen today? What's interesting?" I, I like. I'm a curious person. I'm a person that likes to learn, but I also think it starts with you. And I, I'm always very taken at that moment on when I used to be on an aeroplane, which in the world before uh, was something pretty regular. And the moment where it, they always tell you that if anything were to happen, make sure that you put your own mask on first, look after yourself before you can look after others. And I think that's true of leadership. I think if you're in a good place, if you're strong physically, if you're strong mentally, then I think that gives you the energy and the power to be able to be there to support others as well. And I think it's it's not a straightforward thing. I, I, I think it's a muscle that you have to work at. I think it's a muscle that has to be developed. Uh, and that's something I'm very conscious of. So one of the practices that I have, it, and I've learned this in about seven, eight years ago, is vision writing. I start every year envisioning what the year ahead will be. And I do it from writing back. So if it's December, I'm actually forward out December 2021. And I've written out in three clear buckets what I want to achieve in the year 
in a personal capacity, in a professional capacity, and in a community capacity. And the three buckets are important. They're important because often people don't plan what they want to do personally. They take the life that kind of happens and comes along. They don't put anywhere near the care into their personal life. They do with their professional life where your bosses tell you what you need to do. The, the, the professional is often the easiest unless you're looking to move job and then it can be a bit more difficult. The reason community is in there because the research galore says that people that give back actually are happier and feel more fulfilled. And so again, if that is built in, then then hopefully it makes you feel stronger. And it's these are not easy things to do. And often we, I, I, well, I always do it as a family on the personal bit, and it can be emotional, but I think it's, it's definitely helped me to be um, a stronger leader because I'm clear about what I want to achieve. And it means that I can be very focused on where I would make trade-offs in each of those different areas of my life. Oh, sounds fascinating. Come on, tell me what's in your bucket for 2021. Come on, you can tell me. No one else is listening. Come on, you can. <laughs> well, I'm literally writing it at the moment. What I can tell you for 2020 is that it got ripped up about 65 times. It's like each month it was like, right, I'm going to, now I'm going to do a year one, a six month, now I'm going to do a month by month one. And actually my practices this year were about making sure that I was creating almost moments of joy and celebration, both in my personal life and also for the people that work with me at Facebook as well, because let's be honest, we all needed a bit of cheer this year, didn't we? Well, indeed. And, and well, you know, your challenges that you faced as a leader, Nicola, and, and indeed as a person have also been felt in your personal life. Um, as some of the listeners may know, you were diagnosed in 2016 with follicular lymphoma, an incurable form of cancer. And it's interesting listening to you now in such an optimistic way. Um, so here you are, you know, still fighting that illness, but at the same time still going full throttle in your work. I just wonder if you don't mind my asking how that how the diagnosis has shaped your approach to work and indeed your role as a leader. Um, yeah, there's there, there's no way you can get a diagnosis like that, which which I got four years ago and, and it not have an impact. That That's for sure. But a lot of what um, I practiced was true with when it came to to this disease. So where I am today, I am well. Um, I had two years ago a chemotherapy and immunotherapy treatment, which I'm happy to say was successful. And so there is now no evidence of disease, which I know is confusing for people because it's like, well, if you've got no evidence of disease, aren't you cured? And, and the, the sad answer is no, because for follicular lymphoma, which is an incurable blood cancer, most people will get the average life expectancy is, is 20 years, but you will have six to eight kind of very significant flare-ups in that time. And each time the, the medicines that we have today can make you sicker um, and obviously destroy your immune system. And, and from a COVID perspective, I'm, I'm classed as one of the most vulnerable. And so I've been, I've been shielding. Also due to COVID, I had to stop my, my cancer treatment, which I can't pick back up because it was felt that the risk of, and I had to go in for that treatment, the risk of me catching COVID was greater than the potential benefit that the ongoing treatment could have. So yeah, I've been, I've been affected uh, by it. But in terms of how I've approached it, I've approached it in a way that, I guess I approached everything with, with well, let us celebrate where we are today. Let us focus on the today, I'm well. Um, I, I've told you I love my job. And so um, I'm grateful that I can work at a company that has allowed me 
A, to have treatment when I needed it, but also to be able at the same time to go off and set up the world's first charity uh, that is solely deal, dealing with finding a cure for follicular lymphoma. Um, it is classed as a rare disease. There's less than probably a million people living with it around the world. But I absolutely believe, and the scientists tell me, that with the resources that we have out there today, that this is a disease that should and could be cured, but has lacked the resources, the awareness, um, and the fame, if you like. Not, you know, It's not a disease that anybody that I've met has really heard of, unless they know someone in their family. And so it wasn't attracting the, the scientists, etc., at scale to work on it. That's something that I am determined to, um, to do my very best to, to help in, the, in this fight. And my dream is that this charity will go out of business as quickly as possible because there will be no need for it anymore. So you're bringing the passion you seem to have for digitization, the passion to this cause as well. And maybe you're seeing your, your work at Facebook and your leadership role that, you know, because others, I guess, might have decided to hang up their boots. You haven't. Um, so... It's giving. It sounds like it's giving you energy at the same time, uh, also in, in in your personal life. Yeah, it's a weird. It has, um, and it's a strange one because it's a bit of the work and and the life coming together. Because actually, one of the greatest places of strength for me has been a group on Facebook called Living with Follicular Lymphoma, which is now nearly seven thousand strong, and so that's a community of people that without Facebook could never have found each other. And so, yeah, it, it does give me um, an energy, but I'm not going to say that there aren't days that it's difficult and challenging. Of, of course there are. And, you know, I, I'll never forget that first weekend of, of my diagnosis, which was without question the worst, week, the worst weekend of, um, of my life. But I have a very clear purpose in terms of what I want and what I hope I'm able to do. Well, what a, what a lovely way to end. Um, also, you know, in helping us to reflect not just on, on what it takes to, to remain resilient at work and in roles of leadership and, and others, of course, but also in talking about um, such an expansive terrain as, as, as the big tech sector and what it means for society. So thank you for being such a wonderful guest today, Nicola. Big tech, a term synonymous with the giants of an industry that have led the digital transformation of our lives and business. Facebook has done so by connecting almost half the world's population through its platforms. That has given the firm huge opportunities to change the way we talk with one another, consume news and entertainment, and manage work. The events of this year, with much of the world adapting to a life of lockdown and social distancing, have shown the value of such global communication platforms. In doing so, they point to a future opportunity for Facebook to turn even more of its reach and technical ingenuity towards helping to solve the world's biggest problems like climate change. They will have to do so by navigating the challenges involved in keeping those technologies that transform our lives and deliver so much good also safe and free from harm. Keeping their platforms open and enterprising but also denied to those that seek to exploit them to interfere in elections or promote hateful ideas. That's no small task. It calls for effective leadership of the type we've heard today from Nicola, a woman with years of experience at the top of this sector and someone for whom a diagnosis of incurable cancer is now very much a part of her leadership story as well. Resilient in the face of challenge, optimistic about what lies ahead. 
a fitting way also to view the future of technology in an era of responsible business. Thanks for listening to another episode of Insights on Responsible Business. Hope you enjoyed it and will tune in to our next episode. Review us on Spotify, the iTunes podcast app, or whatever popular podcast app you're using and find out more on Deloitte.nl.